That's where we're going to be. Romans chapter 2. Now, we are in verse 4. Uh, we're staying in verse 4, but uh, I'm going to try to give you some context. So we're going to read what we did last week and then focus on 4. It'll give you context. We're not going to get very much into 1 to 3, but we're going to focus on 4. So Romans chapter 2, starting with verse 1, and then we'll go through 4, but 4 is the focus for the message this morning. Uh, Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? This is a a difficult uh, passage. There's a lot in verse 4. So, um, what we're going to do, we're going to look at 4, and essentially, we're just going to ask a few questions. Okay? Uh, there are three main questions uh, that we're going to look at in verse 4. And what we see in verse 4 is, is Paul essentially does that. He's teaching them by asking them some questions. Okay? So, um, initially, let me ask you this question. Have you come to grips with the realization that because of your sin, you need mercy? Right? And, and this is me asking you this question. You don't have to answer out loud. But do you realize that because of your sin, the sin that you have committed, that you need mercy? You're in desperate need of God's mercy. In fact, it is only by God's mercy that, that you can be made right before him. That's what we see in this scripture. The Apostle Paul is, is walking through that scenario. He's speaking to the Jews of his day. We talked about this last week. He's speaking to the Jews of his day. But, um, you know, these are the, the religious, kind of outwardly moral. They know right from wrong. They, uh, in fact, they're disgusted with immorality, but they're faithless. Uh, they have not put their faith in Christ. They have not repented of their sins. They know morality because they can spot it. They know that immorality is wrong, but they don't trust in Christ. So Paul's speaking to the Jews in the first century, but this applies to us today as well. This verse leads us to ask three questions that really help us understand uh, the issue that he's raising. And and so uh, I've already kind of started off with one, so I guess it's four questions. But um, let me me ask you this. Do you think lightly of God's mercy? That's one of the questions that he's asking in this verse. Do you think lightly of God's mercy? Do you think lightly of God's mercy? Paul has said that, uh, that the Jews knew right from wrong. They, they understood right and wrong. They could recognize it, and they, uh, they should do it, and they condemned those who did the wrong. They, they, uh, they judged those who were immoral, yet they practice it for themselves. And so they're self-condemned. As they're condemning others, they're condemning themselves. Then he adds another charge, though. He says, you have failed to appreciate the purpose of God's forbearance with you. You you don't understand it. You're not blown away by the fact that God is forbearing with you. 
Yeah, another way you could say that, forbearance, you could, you could use tolerance. Right? You're, you're, uh, you're failing to be blown away by the fact that God is tolerating you. So, in, in other words, Paul's saying you have a false security. You have false security. Look, if, if your hope is in your morality, and if, if you are totally consumed with, with how you behave and, and you know right from wrong, it's so well that you point it out in others and you're disgusted by, by people who are, are caught up in uh, immoral sins, but and that is where your hope is. Your hope is that, that you are made right before God, you are at peace with God because of your behavior, then you have a false security because even if you are the most moral person in the world, if you are without Christ, you are not at peace with God. Okay, and so if you think that you are, if you think you're at peace with God and you, you, are not, uh, you have not repented and believed in Christ as your Savior, then you have a false security. If you think that the way you're saved, if you think that the way that you're made right before God is through your morality, then you are desperately wrong and you're in desperately need of a Savior and you're no better off than the pagans that Paul mentions in Romans 1. You're no better off than the people that you're judging. He's saying you believe that because God has been kind to you and has been patient with your sin, that he's in fact, that he's pleased with you and that you're at peace with him. Just because God is patient with you does not mean that he is pleased with you. What he's actually doing is giving you the opportunity to come to peace with him through Jesus Christ because you are not at peace with him. If you are without Christ, you are not at peace with God. And God is showing kindness as a way to lead you to repentance. God's kindness and patience and forbearance are meant to lead you to repent, not to show you that he is pleased with you. So, uh, he's telling. Remember, it's important that we remember who he's talking to, okay? Uh, he's talking to the people who are moral. They know right from wrong, but they're without Christ. Understand, that part is key. They're without Christ. And so these people have this false security because they think they're doing the good thing and they, they think that they're going to be saved because they're, they're, they're moral and, and God is showing kindness and he's being patient with them. And they say, well, God is kind to me. God is good. God is wonderful. God is patient. Therefore, he's happy with me. Therefore, I should keep doing what I've been doing. Therefore, I'm on the right track. And Paul says, no, you've got it wrong. Your morality isn't the key. You are lost, but you think you're saved. God is kind, and God is patient, and God is tolerating you so that you will repent, to lead you to repentance. Paul's saying to the Jew who has false security here, he, he, the, when the Jew says, well, well I have the law. I, I have the law. I can rely on the law. Paul says, yeah, but you're not doing it. You can't obey it. And then the Jew will say, well, at least I'm not like the immoral pagan. I'm not terrible like him. I'm not doing all sorts of horrible things. And Paul says, I know, but you're still a sinner and you still need grace. And the Jew will say, well, well in spite of my sin, God is merciful. Of course I'm sinful. No one's perfect. Of course I've done wrong. 
And Paul says, yeah, that's, that's exactly right. God is merciful, but he's merciful so that you will be led to repentance, not so that you can do whatever you want, not so that you can be the Lord of your own life. You see, there's a big difference there. God is not patient with us because he's pleased with us and, and he says we're on the right track, go, go do what you want. God is patient with us and he is kind and he's forbearing in our sins to lead us to repentance. There's a purpose behind it. But those who have false security say, well, I'm on the right track. I've got it figured out. God is good and God is kind and God is patient. I'll keep doing what I want to do. The scripture is also speaking to the church-going believer of the day. It's talking about a false security that uh, church-going people can often experience, okay? They know the Bible. They know right from wrong. They know what the Bible says about the mercies of God, and they've, they've taken false comfort without having ever come to grips with their own sin. Right? So they say, I know what the Bible says. I know the Bible says I'm supposed to abstain from this stuff and I'm supposed to do all of this stuff and I come to worship service and I'm a part of a community group and I, I serve. I like to do things. I like to help other people. But what do I need to repent from? What do I need forgiveness for? Of course, I've made mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. It's not that big of a deal. I don't need to repent. We can even twist our our theology, we can take good truths to bad ends in this regard. We can take things that the Bible really teaches, and we can twist them to fit our beliefs. There's a doctrine, once saved, always saved. Um, Calvinists call it perseverance of the saints. They're fairly similar, right? And uh, what, what can happen is if you, if you take this once saved, always saved, and you say, well, I made a decision when I was a child. I was, you know, I, I was at youth group. I was at this youth rally, and, uh, and there was a, an altar call. You know, they're playing music, and I walked forward. And I was there. They were preaching about hell, and I was terrified. And, and I remember walking forward. I was scared of hell. And I walked forward, and I, I prayed with, with the youth leader, and, and he told me that there's nothing, nothing that can ever happen where I'll, I'll, I'll ever lose my salvation. But I don't have faith. I was scared of hell that day when I was in middle school, but I, I don't love Jesus. I'm not concerned about obeying him. I, I, don't really, I, I don't really want to serve him. I don't like some of the commands in the Bible, and so I, I choose not to obey them. They make me uncomfortable. I don't like to worship. What, what do I have to be forgiven for? What do I need grace for? Why would I need mercy? I'm not, I'm not concerned with righteousness or holiness. I choose to go my own way and do my own thing. I know that God is patient and God is kind, but I also know that I'm in. That, that youth pastor when I was a kid told me. He told me I'm in. I, I walked the aisle. I was there. I remember it. I made it through the gate. What that is, is that is a twisting of a biblical truth to fit how we want to live. 
Sure, once you're saved, don't get me wrong, once you're saved, once you have a genuine faith in Jesus Christ, you, you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, right? You will never, ever lose your salvation, right? That's a promise we have from Scripture several times. God will never, ever condemn you once you have been saved. But what I just described, walking an aisle without ever, ever really having a faith and then not living in, 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 a, in a biblical manner, it's a twisting of once saved, always saved. Essentially what it's saying is, uh, is I can live how I want in sin because I know I have this false security that I, I walked an aisle. It's twisting that, that true doctrine. Paul says, uh, Paul says that they're recklessly misunderstanding the kindness of God. It's a dangerous game you're playing. It's dangerous because it, it, in the end, you're condemned. If you don't repent, you're condemned. The problem is, is that people like this, when they hear the call to repent, they're thinking of everyone else who needs to. They hear the call to say, you need to seek forgiveness for your sins. What this person hears, what this person is thinking is, man, I wish my brother was here. Man, I wish so-and-so was listening to this needs to hear what this pastor has to say because they think that they're saved they think that they're moral they don't they, they, they in fact they reject the entire concept that they need mercy paul says you're paul says you're presuming on god's kindness you're assuming that you're at peace with him when you're not that's a danger to anyone who's religious. Anyone who's a part of a worshiping community. They can be tricked into a, a false sense of security. Thinking lightly of God's mercy does not require that we openly reject it. It doesn't. Right? Uh, all we have to do to think lightly of God's mercy is not repent or not live a life of repentance. That's, that's thinking lightly of, of God's mercy. I just want to emphasize that repentance is not just a one-time thing that's sort of struck right at, right at the beginning of the Christian life. It's not something you have to do in order to become a Christian. I mean, you do have to do it to become a Christian, but it's not as though you do it this one time when you come to faith and then that's it. You never have to do it again. Everything's automatically forgiven. You can do what you want, live how you want. Forget about righteousness and holiness and obedience. You can do what you want. You can be the Lord of your own life. Right? That, that's not how it works. Look, I, I'm, I'm sure you remember Martin Luther's 95 theses. I'm sure you have them all memorized. Um, but uh, one of the very first of Luther's 95 theses, which kicked off the Protestant Reformation in 1517, by the way, right, is one of the first things that he did in the 95 theses is that he contrasted uh, the doctrine of penance to the biblical doctrine of ongoing lifelong repentance. There's a huge difference between uh, the Catholic Church's uh, idea of penance and, and really the biblical doctrine of repentance. Huge difference, right? And Luther pointed that out, and it got him in a lot, in a lot of trouble in his day. All you have to do to despise the mercy of God uh, and think lightly of his kindness and forbearance and patience 
is to not live a life of repentance, not acknowledge your sin, not be repulsed by the idea that you are a sin, not be disgusted by sin in your life. Any response to God's mercy without a life of repentance means really to despise and reject God's grace. Do you think lightly of God's mercy? By the way, if you're in, if you're in one of the community groups that, that does the sermon-based studies, you can expect these questions in your group, and you can expect to discuss them this week, so prepare yourself. Do you think lightly of God's mercy? And I know that, that probably no one in here openly rejects God's mercy, but do you take it lightly? Do you repent? Did you acknowledge that, that you're a sinner and you need, you depend on God's mercy? That some of the decisions that you've made and some of the things that you've done in your life warrant the wrath of God? Do you acknowledge that? Does it break your heart? Next, Paul, Paul asks us another question. Do you understand who God is? Do you understand who he is? Notice he mentions here the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, it says. He's showing us some, but not all of, but some of the characteristics of God. He's asking us to reflect upon really who God is. Think about God. Think, think of who He is. Think about His attributes. Think about what the Scriptures say about Him. Who He is, really essentially. How he, is, how, he, how he acts towards us. How He treats us. And what does that say about God? He's asking, for instance, that the Jewish people of, of His own time to go back and reflect on the mercies which, which God heaped upon, upon the Jewish people. And he's asking those of us who are in the church who have been blessed from our childhood, he's asking us, do we think lightly of God's kindness, God's tolerance, God's patience? Do we take that for granted? What he's doing just in this verse, do you presume on the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience? He's really telling us a lot about the character of God. He's saying, uh, I, I don't know how many times I've said it, but when you, when you read the Scripture, you read the Scripture, what you always need to remember is that the Bible is about God. It is not about you. When I read a passage, what I need to know is that the Bible is not about me. It was not a story written about me. Right? So one of the things that we can do, right, when you pick up the passage, and uh, what I would discourage you from doing is opening up the Bible and reading a verse and saying, well, how does this help me, you know, deal with this problem? Or how am I going to, how is this going to make my marriage better? Or how is this going to help me with my finances? Or how is this going to do this for me? The first question you really should ask when you, when you read any passage, any verse of the scripture is say, what is this saying about God? What is this saying about God and how is this pointing to Christ? Right? Those are two questions just right off the bat you should ask as you read the scriptures. Do that before you say, how is this going to help me, whatever, fill in the blank. Now, don't get me wrong. We can, we can find ways to be helped from the Scriptures. But the Scripture was not written about me. The Scripture was not written about you. The Scripture was written about God. 
Right? And, and so uh, we can apply the Scriptures to our life, most certainly. But we ask, what is it, what's it saying about God? And that's what, what Paul's taking us to right here. He, he's telling us what it says about God, what this verse, what it, he's telling us about God. He's kind, he's forbearing, he's patient. He's explaining that. He's showing us who God is and, and what he's like and why he does what he does. And let me, let me just say this too. There are a lot of Christians today, too many actually, um, even Christian leaders who want to remake God into their own image, right? They want to make him um, like they want him to be rather than like he has revealed himself to be through his word. Okay, this, it's a common problem. Uh, it, it really is. In fact, this is, this is what heretics from the very beginning have done. Okay, uh, it happens in a couple of ways in the Christian community. Sometimes there'll be uh, an outright rejection of biblical truths about God. Right? They'll just flat out say, I don't believe this thing about God. They'll deny his attributes. And so you've probably heard a Christian say at some point or another in your life, I hear it all the time, well, you know, they'll say, the God of the Old Testament was a God of wrath. Uh, the God of the New Testament is a God of love. And, and so uh, I choose to believe the God of love and, and, and not the God of wrath. I don't believe that the God of the New Testament would do some of the stuff he did in the Old Testament. So I'm going to reject what the Old Testament says and focus only on what the New Testament says. I'm only going to focus on love and grace and mercy, and I'm not going to focus on justice or wrath or condemnation. Or maybe you've heard someone reject the attributes of God just more boldly. Well, they, they might say, you know, that, the Bible might say that about God, but I just think it's wrong. I, I, I just think, that, I, I just think that, that, that that cannot be possible, right? So I, I, I just don't believe in God's omniscience, that he knows everything, or I reject God's immutability, that, that he doesn't change, right? Now people will just openly reject these attributes of God that are clear in Scripture. Maybe, maybe they'll say God is love, and, and a loving God would never condemn people. Problem is, scripture, scripture doesn't say that. You're pulling that. You're, what you're doing is you're saying how you want God to be. You may have heard someone who professes to be a Christian say these things. It's not uncommon. That person is remaking God in his or her own image. And that is idolatry. It's idolatry. That's one way that people alter who God is by rejecting the scriptural truths about him. But then another thing they'll do is they'll just, they'll put it, uh, one verse or passage against another. Rather than saying, I've got to figure out how, how this works. I don't understand how this works, but they, they both describe God. What they'll do is they'll, they'll look at two passages and they'll say, I don't believe this one because I believe this one. Or, you know what, I don't like this one. This one makes me uncomfortable, so I'm, I'm only going to accept this one. That's what they do. Oh, I know the Bible talks about God's justice, but I'd rather think about His grace. I, I, I think His grace is going to triumph over His justice in the end, and so they set two of God's attributes against themselves. And you can't do that. 
God doesn't allow us to set one attribute of God over against another. They are in perfect harmony. They work together. And if it doesn't make sense to you, then keep studying because they work together. They go hand in hand. Now, what is Paul, uh, what is Paul here doing? He points to three things that, that, that God is, how God responds to his people. God is kind, God is forbearing, and God is patient. That's what we find just in this one verse. And he says those three characteristics of God are designed to lead us to repentance. They're not designed to show you how wonderful you are. They're not designed to show you how you're on the right track. What they are designed to do is to show you that you need to repent. And if we do not repent, then we're really not comprehending who God is. We don't understand his kindness. We don't understand his forbearance. We don't understand his patience. Think about those characteristics for a minute. Paul speaks three ways which God displays mercy towards us. He's kind. He says God is kind. When he speaks of God's kindness, he's speaking of God's goodness and generosity and action towards his people, right? It's true in general that God is kind. The Psalms tell us that you know, there we can go scripture after scripture talking about God's kindness. But Paul is being very specific here. This verse is, is very specific. He's speaking to the worshiping community, to the, the Jewish people who held the truth. And he, he's saying, God's kindness to you was designed not so that you'll sit back and think, well, I'm really special. I, I'm doing things right. I, I've got this figured out. I'm really on the right track. I can do what I want. I can just go in the same direction. No, his kindness isn't designed to allow you to pursue earthly desires. It's to lead you to repentance. God's generosity in action is there because he's drawing you to himself in repentance. That's why his kindness is there. It's very clear in Romans 2, 4, why God is so kind. He goes on to say God's tolerance or, or forbearance is there to lead you to repentance as well. When, when he speaks of God's tolerance, he's speaking of God's, uh, it's, it's like restraining his final judgment. God is holding back and bringing the judgment that sinners deserve. You and I deserve judgment right now already. Right? But God is, is holding that back. He has not judged us yet. It's God's temporary forbearance against sin. And let me emphasize temporary. The tolerance of God, of God's forbearing a punishment which is deserved. That's, that's what we're seeing here. It's a different explanation of tolerance than what you might find in society. It, it's explaining tolerance in a different way. But he'll bring, he'll bring justice unless repentance brings that sinner out from under his wrath and into the domain of his grace. That's what repentance is. So uh, godly tolerance is not based on everybody being right and everybody being good and, and, and making no distinctions between right and wrong and good and evil. Godly tolerance doesn't destroy the categories of good and evil. Godly tolerance says, for a variety of reasons, we will forbear, the greatest of which is we long to see that person united in God, uh, in, or united to God in grace. And so God says uh, he tolerates us, he forbears 
with us. He withholds that judgment that we rightly deserve. He continues talking about patience. God's patience is a reference to his, his long-suffering, his ability to bear patiently in the face of sin and opposition from his own people. There are several times where Jesus would have been completely justified in rebuking his disciples, but he, but he decides not to. He decides to be patient. Now, don't get me wrong. You read the, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you see Jesus rebuke his disciples. But if he rebuked them every time that they deserved it, that's all it would be. Every single time that the, that the disciple do some, does something stupid, it's, you know, Peter, knock that off. John, stop it. James, you're wrong. Right? Just constantly, that's what Jesus would be doing. It would be difficult to read the Gospels if that's all that, that all that we saw. But Jesus for, forbore. He was patient with his disciples. And Paul says God is forbearing too. He's patient with his people. And the purpose of that patience, there is a purpose. And that purpose is to lead us to repentance. Now, that raises a question for us. Have we used God's kindness? This is going to be in your community group questions, by the way. Have we used God's kindness as an excuse to be indifferent about eternal matters? Do we take God's kindness for granted? Have we used God's kindness as an excuse to be indifferent towards Christ? Have we said, you know what, I know that God is kind. I can rely on God's kindness. In fact, God, God has so consistently showed his kindness and demonstrated that he is so radically kind that I really, that Christ doesn't matter. My, my, what I believe doesn't matter. Repentance doesn't matter. Have we used God's kindness as an excuse to be indifferent towards the gospel? It doesn't really matter what, 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 what I've done, does it? I, I know that God is kind. That's taking him for granted. It's taking his kindness for granted. It's using God's patience and kindness as an excuse to live a worldly, sinful life. And that path leads to destruction. That path leads to destruction, but we think we're right. And if you answer yes to those questions, you, uh, beware. Beware, because that's a dangerous place to be. Paul's saying to the religious people of his day, you have seen actively displayed God's kindness and God's forbearance and his patience, and yet you have not repented. You've seen it in action. You know that it exists. You know right from wrong, and yet you refuse to repent. You say you don't need mercy. You say you don't need grace. You know right from wrong. You know the right answers. You know that, that God exists. You know that he's patient and kind and, and merciful. And yet there you are, arrogantly pursuing your own desires, refusing to acknowledge your sin, refusing to repent. That's a terrifying warning. It is. And if, if this is you, if you think that your morality saves you, if you think your morality makes you right before God, 
then you're no better off than the idolater listed in Romans 1. You're not. Maybe the only difference is you think that you're right. You think that God is, is supporting you. When the Scripture tells us that His kindness is to lead us to repentance. Then he asks a third question. You see it at the very end of verse 4. The question is, do you, do you know why God is so patient? Paul's reflecting on the purpose of God's mercies, and purpose is, is to produce repentance. God's mercy and patience has a purpose. We don't always appreciate that purpose. And when we don't, we're despising God's mercy. We're, we're thinking lightly of his kindness, not knowing, he says at the end of verse 4, um, not knowing that kindness, the kindness of God leads you to repent. The people that he's writing to are totally ignorant of his kindness. They don't understand it. They don't understand why God is so kind. They saw God forbearing in their sin. They assumed that they were at peace with God. They were assuming that they were under the favor of God. They were despising his mercy. There are a couple of ways you can despise his mercy. You can, on the one hand, think that you don't need it, right? And, and that can be done more or less boldly, right? Some person might, might say, you know what? I'm not that bad overall. I make mistakes. Yes, I've sinned. Yes, nobody's perfect. Everyone makes mistakes, but I'm a pretty good person. I, I actually do pretty well. I, I don't need to be forgiven because you know what? I, 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 I deal with things on my own. I don't need forgiveness. There aren't a lot of people who are, who are that deluded, uh, but there are a few, and they think they, they never sin. They, they don't need to be forgiven, right? More often, it sounds like this. More often, it's, it's someone saying, you know what? I've received God's favor. I, I, I have God's blessing. I, I have it. God is pleased with me. I don't need to hear this again. I, I don't need to hear the gospel again. Well, why am I hearing this? Why are you telling me about repentance? I have God's blessing. I don't need to repent. That doesn't make sense that you would tell me that. That's the more common response. There are those who don't think they need the mercy of God, and then there are those who take it for granted. And let me tell you something. The only appropriate response to the gospel is repentance. If you hear the gospel preached, or you read the, you read the words of the gospel in God's word, and you say, I don't need to hear that again. I don't need to hear the gospel. Then what you are doing is, is you are taking God's kindness and patience and forbearance for granted. You are despising His mercy. The only appropriate response to the gospel is repentance. I think it was Matt Chandler said that there are only two responses to the gospel. Either your heart is softened or your heart is hardened. Right? And I totally believe that. When the gospel is preached, uh, when the gospel is read, whenever you hear the gospel, read the gospel, see the gospel, I guess you can't really see the gospel, but when you, when you read it or, or hear it, right, the only appropriate response is repentance. And if you say, why am I hearing this again? I don't need to hear this. I know it already. I've heard it a million times. Then what's happening is your heart is hardening and you're despising the mercy of God. And that is a dangerous place to be. 
That's a, a red flag, and it's an indicator that you are the person that Paul is talking about in Romans 2. You are the one who knows right and knows wrong. You are the one that says, that says that person is immoral and that person does wrong, but you don't have Christ. So you judge yourself, and you're no better off than the idolaters mentioned in Romans 1. The only appropriate response to the gospel is repentance. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this morning. And God, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you. God, we know that, that you, are, you are a God of justice. You are a God of mercy. You are a God of, of, uh, of grace and love. God, you are patient, you are forbearing, and you are kind. You're wonderful in every way. There, there are so many things that you, you give to us that we don't deserve. Father, I pray that, that in your kindness we would repent. As we see your patience, we would repent. We would seek forgiveness. We would be broken over the sin in our own life. We would recognize your holiness and our sinfulness, how wicked our sin is. And we would be disgusted by the filth that is in our own life. God, we pray that... that as we see how wonderful you are and how, how well you treat us, that we would be broken and hate the fact that we reject you so often. God, I pray that if there is someone in here who doesn't know you, whether they've openly rejected you or whether they, 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 they think that they've been saved, whether maybe it's the person that you're describing here in Romans 2, I pray that, that you would lead that person to repentance. I pray that you would reveal their sins to them and break them over the sins in their life so that they confess and repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Father, we love you, we praise you, and we worship you. We pray these things in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ.